0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 118, Top 10 Board Game Apps.
1: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.
0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris.
1: And this is Anthony.
0: Hey, Anthony, how are you, man?
1: I'm doing all right. How are you?
0: Good. Back for another week of board gaming madness. I know.
1: Yes. Yes. My kids are healthy. That's about it. I'm kind of like knee deep right now in baseball season with my son. So I've not been playing a ton of games.
0: Okay. But,
1: but you're enough. Off,
0: but you're off the podcast now.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Unless it's uh, baseball highlights 2045. Then you're back on, man.
1: Ooh. Yeah. I don't know if I could get the team full of five-year-olds to play that. Well,
0: if I, you, know. I think you could, if you cyborg arms on them, I think then that works.
1: Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they would pay attention then. <laughs>
0: Nothing like five-year-olds with cybernetics to kind of get the game going a little bit.
1: (laughs) And parents are like, what did you do? He's stronger now. You should thank me.
0: (laughs) It worked in the board game. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So this episode, we are actually talking about our top 10 board game apps. All of those lovely, lovely cardboard pieces and boards that you get to the table now transformed and translated onto your different tablet devices That you'll be able to play alone, as Anthony knows, or with a multitude of people online or just a little bit of a pass and play. Anthony, you're a fan of this kind of stuff, right? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, probably you'll play alone. But yeah. (laughs) That's kind
0: of sad. Okay. (laughs) It's not
1: sad. It's something to do. Kids are there. You're busy. You're at the doctor's office. Who knows? You got an iPad. Play a little Terra Mystica. There you go.
0: Terramistic on the go. All right. So before we get into the episode, we would like to let you know how to keep in contact with us. So don't forget we have a number of different social media sources, including Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on BoardGameGeek, our Patreon account where you can support us supporting great board games. And never forget iTunes and Stitcher. The reviews that you put help us get out there to the board gaming community. Now with all that said, Anthony, let's get on to our acquisition disorders. Let's do it. All
1: right. So this one is a little inspired. Just this last week, we had an interview on Every Night is Game Night, the solo gaming podcast, by the way, if you're into solo games, check that out. But we had on Adam Carlson and Josh Carlson, the guys behind Chip Theory Games, and their previous game is Hoplomachus, which if, well, maybe you know about it, maybe you don't. If you've been to a convention, you've probably seen it. Uh, It's not really in distribution because the components and everything that goes into it make it very expensive, but the crafting here is beautiful. But the the game I want to talk about today is not Hoplomachus, which is a few years old. It's Too Many Bones. This is the newest game from these guys, and it just shipped to everybody who backed it on Kickstarter here in the last few weeks. I think they have the new print coming in July, so everybody who didn't back it will be able to get a copy this summer, and it's basically a a role playing game with dice building. So you're using dice, rolling dice, all these different custom face die to build up your character and then to go on these different missions. Uh, the game comes with like 100 plus unique different dice. There are seven different classes that you can choose from. Each of them is very, very different. Uh, there are different adventures with a, It's very battle focused, but between like eight and 12 different battles that you're gonna face during each of these adventures. And the the thing that's really interesting to me about this is it's a co-op, so it's very, very challenging, but it's not challenging in, say, the way of a normal co-op is where it's luck and then, and then it beats you and you try again and, oh, no, the luck beat us again. It's it's more akin to, like, a raid in World of Warcraft where you go in and you're like, we don't know what we're doing. Okay, we're dead. Now we know not to do that. We still don't know what we're doing. Okay, now we're dead. Now we know not to do that and that. and. I always kind of love that. It's fun to just, you know, trial and error and see what works and build a strategy over time, amplifies the difficulty, but also kind of creates this narrative that you're kind of going through over and over again to finally beat it. And it's so much more fun when you do. (laughs) This one, I think, was on Kickstarter just before I kind of dove headfirst into the solo gaming realm. So I missed it. And I am therefore eager uh, for the reprint that's coming. Jason, on The other podcast actually got a copy from the guys, kind of a beaten and battered, waterlogged copy (laughs) that they let us take a look at for review. So I'm hoping I can borrow that from him and give this a go. But I definitely want to check this out real soon.
0: Wow, that sounds really interesting.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. And if you look at the components, it's just... Like, it's an expensive game, but component-wise, you're getting some really, really high-quality stuff. Like, these guys do not mess around when it comes to components. Like, each of the characters is a neoprene mat with space cut out for each of the dice. Wow. The like, dice are all custom. If you've seen Hoplamakis, it has all those chips, big, thick chips. I know Daniel, like, lost his mind at Gen Con a couple <laughs> years ago over those chips. So, uh, this looks cool. I'm I'm pretty excited to give it a go.
0: Okay. Well, I have another interesting game this was actually spoken about in the spiel in 2016 it's a game from martin wallace which you know pretty much from uh, brass fame and a lot of other really solid heavy euro games but what we're looking at here is a game called the arrival now this has some updated artwork and components from its initial release and basically in this game You are looking at ancient Ireland and it has a very, how would you say it, um, Cthulhu-esque type of mythology where these demonic forces are taking over the isle and you are fighting for control. And what's really interesting here is that players must decide whether to collect resources to spread out their tribe, but unfortunately by doing so gain more corruption or to forego those resources to gain more fame. And here's the kind of tricky part. At the end of the game, the winner is decided by who has the most fame or the least corruption, depending on, once again, going back to those demonic forces, kind of being kind of like a third-party, third player in this game. This game is coming out in 2017 from Cryptic Zoic, which is interesting because Cryptic Zoic does amazing work with board game IPs. The updated artwork looks fantastic, and martin wallace is one of my favorite designers especially for really nice crunchy games so um, i'm pretty excited about this and since he already has that the kind of pedigree from a study in emerald this is definitely something i'm looking forward to picking up
1: you, you said this before the show martin wallace plus cryptozoic and i was like wait a second what <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound right
0: it's part of that cthulhu-esque madness that's going on
1: ah <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's meta got it
0: it's very very meta so I love to play a heavy, heavy game, but honestly, I know it doesn't bother some people, but I'd like to see something thematic in a game, and I'd like to see a game play out thematically, not just artwork, but actually play out in a way that it it kind of either tells a story or guides you through gameplay, and I don't know, I'm hopeful that this game could be that. So that's my acquisitions disorder for this week. Anthony, that's all of the stuff that we want to talk about what we want. What about the games that we're actually getting to the table this week? What are you playing?
1: All right. So I'm going to talk about one that we actually both got. Uh, (laughs) Osprey Games sent us a copy, both of us a copy of Sherzad. Thanks, Osprey. Um, So this is a it's a single player or two player co-op tile laying game uh, designed by Yuo. Uh, and the artwork is by Kotori Neko. So it's Japanese. And the original game, like if you go to BGG, you see it. It's, it's card-based. They've changed it to these little square tiles now. About as simple as you can get. The weight on BGG is a 1, and it is definitely a 1. <laughs> you have 20-some-odd tiles, and they each represent a different type of story or a moment in a different story. And you are laying them out one at a time, and the goal is to basically to make sure that all the tiles are grouped together by type. There's four different types or, well, not or, and <laughs> in ascending order. So if, if, if at any point in the tableau that you're building, a tile is higher than the one after it, it flips over. And the fewer tiles you have there, obviously, the fewer tiles you have to score. You do that twice. So you lay everything out. Um, you see what flips over. Uh, and you remove those from the game. You leave one row in. You do it again. You see what your score is. And that's it. That's the whole game. It is. I actually haven't played this two players. So I just played it by myself. But it doesn't take a ton of time to learn. I feel like I got the gist of it after playing it two or three times. But it's fun. It's nice. It's quick. It's easy. Tiles are really cool to look at. I like the artwork. I'm not 100% sure what all of these pictures are from. But that's part of the fun. Is trying to figure out what they're from. So presentation-wise, it's it's very nice to look at. And because it is so quick and doesn't really have kind of the um, overwrought setup that some shorter games like this sometimes do, I think it's pretty cool. I don't know what the staying power is going to be. Obviously, it's random how the tiles come out. But I feel like once you get a sense of where you want to put things and in what order, I'm not saying you could solve it necessarily, but I I think it's not going to get a whole lot more difficult. But yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. What did you think?
0: Well, I actually got a chance to play this two-player, and it was interesting. I mean, I know that originally this game was a card game, so to actually have these tiles, and these are really nice, heavy, chunky square tiles, and the artwork is beautiful, actually, quite beautiful, and a lot of the scenes, if not all of the scenes, depict classic fairy tales, but they don't use... I guess the IP names for these things. So you you kind of have a Rapunzel one, and you you have a Snow White one, and you have a Pinocchio one, and uh, Puss in Boots one, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk one. So there is a lot of there's a lot of recognizable mythology and storybook and grim fairy tales you know iconography here. The gameplay. Is as you said, it I, I now know what a one is on board game peak <laughs> as far as weight is concerned, because basically when you play the tiles, you're trying to make rows that continue throughout of ascending values from you know left to right without getting something high in the middle, because otherwise it knocks those tiles out and it lowers your score. You really want to get the same color kind of you know bunched together, but sometimes that means it's gonna be a little challenging to get the actual correct cards in the right order so it's a little this and a little that we did not lose a card when we played the game we were able to lay it out perfectly we didn't get a perfect score on the game that we played we got very close to getting a very perfect score it's a cute game it's definitely a family game for children i think it's going to be a dodge for me like the game as as for what it is but i don't think this is going to hold gamers attention at all unless they are probably under the age of 8.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean I think that's fair. I don't I don't think I would bring this out for um uh the game group. I'm kind of approaching it similar to like the game where yeah. the goal is a perfect score and less than that is not quite a win because you know, getting 20, 25 points not necessarily hard to do and then the booklet makes it seem like oh, that's a pretty good score. It's like no. It's not a good score cuz it's not a perfect score. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's my goal, which I haven't quite hit yet, but I also it is only a two player game too, so I don't know how often it would come out you know in game groups. I think it's something I'll probably play with my son and I know he'll have fun with it, and it'll be a little more difficult for him and I'll play it by myself if I'm just trying to you know something quick and easy to clear the mind so for me, it's a play, it's a play. um okay. yeah, I like it uh, I think making it all chunky tiles uh, I think that, I don't know what this costs. Maybe twenty dollars it could just be a deck of cards obviously. So it is a little bit more of a production. But if you like the sound of that and something, want something light, you know, it might be worth tracking down.
0: Yeah, the artwork is beautiful. And as you said, it's an interesting little solo game to kind of break out. So if that is your vibe, this game might work out perfectly for you. All right. So talking about beautiful artwork and, you know, card placement kind of affecting your gameplay, I want to talk about Yokohama. And I know this is a game that Anthony recently got from his Kickstarter backer. and uh yeah yeah i looked at picking up this game and it definitely gave me the istanbul vibe which wasn't necessarily a bad thing but since i already own istanbul i was a little cautious about this game and it seemed like an excessive amount of stuff so when i actually got the game to the table uh thanks to Vern, i was able to play this game multiple times and what can I say about this that the Kickstarter doesn't already say? As I said from the start, um, if you played Istanbul, then you have a general premise of what this game plays like. So at the start of the game, you lay out all of these large cards on the table to create this kind of kind of really interesting and expansive tableau in front of you that everyone will play on. And then you have your boss and you have these workers, and you are able to kind of create paths Onto these different cards. And at your choosing, you take your executive little boss character. And you pick him up along with one of the workers. and Or multiple workers, depending on how you're able to kind of lay out your workers throughout the game. And then depending on how many you pull off, you'll be able to get resources or take an action of a certain strength. Now, most of the cards have a five strength bonus. To it. So if you're able to pull off five people off that, then you'll get usually a bonus token if it's still available there. And if you get four or more, you'll be able to place a building or a factory on the tile itself that will give you an additional quote unquote person on the board that counts towards later effects when you're trying to score that board again. Now, beyond all of the normal boards that typically give you resources. Allow you to pick up contracts to fulfill or be able to pull off either meeples or buildings off your own player cards that's filled up with a number of different things that you can place on the board. There's also two main tracks that offer you really big time scoring throughout the game. So as the game goes on, you're collecting resources, you're collecting contracts, you're trying to fulfill the contracts. You're also picking up technology cards that will give you special abilities throughout the game. And finally, as I said, you're trying to go for these main areas that are going to score you, let's say, 16 to 20-so-odd points. And then once the game comes to an end, what you're looking at is scoring your points based upon how well you did in a number of different ways. And this is where the game breaks down for me a little bit. Because not only is the game kind of like a beautiful mess as far as the colors and all the chits are concerned, the scoring has a number of different ways in which you kind of collect and gain your final scoring points. So throughout the game, you're scoring victory points, and there's a track for that. But at the end of the game, you're counting up resources. You're counting up these symbols as far as different countries are concerned. So if you get enough of these countries in a certain collection, that will score you additional victory points. If you meet certain final goal conditions that come up randomly, so there's an A, B, and C goal condition throughout the game. If you're able to hit those, they'll score you additional points based upon technologies. There's just a whole bunch of different stuff to do in this game. It's very chaotic. It is fun. I'm glad to say the game is actually fun, and the game is extremely well-produced. Um, I did feel a little bit thrown as I was playing the game. Not that it was a challenging game. I I typically find that in BoardGameGeek, this game is rated a little heavier than what I would believe it should be. I think it's a 3 point something, like a 3.4, 3.5 in this. But uh, overall, a good game. It's worth a play for me, but uh, not a buy. It just a little too chaotic, a little too much. It's something that personally I feel it like could have been slimmed down a little bit. Anthony, what did you think? You have this game.
1: I do, yeah. So I played it last summer. A buddy had the original copy of the game from Japan and I think the Kickstarter was going on at the same time. So, you know, you can kind of get a good sense of what my opinion was because I liked it enough to back it. I have the exact same thought. It is, I mean, I remember what the first couple of times he brought it in and it's set up I was like, I don't know, that looks like a mess. I don't want to deal with that. It's not as messy as it seems, though, just because it's one of those games where, you know, there are four different types of resources. And so there are multiple boards out that offer those resources. So of the 15 different spaces available, you know, like nine of them are pretty self explanatory. There's still a lot, though, right? And it does take some time to kind of work through all that. It's also often a little bit difficult, uh, to keep people focused, you know, um, following the rules Not that anybody's trying to cheat necessarily, but just like, there's a lot going on and it's easy to get distracted or, or miss something or get lost and then get angry that you missed a thing. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like if there was a way to streamline space, um, and, uh, how everything flows together, that might be good. But like you said, it is a lot of fun. Like I just, I enjoy the process of playing this game. Yeah, you're right. It's a 3.39 on that's BGG, which I think crazy. is a little bit high. This is not a hard game at all. You put your guys down, you move your president, you take an action. That is it. That, yeah. That's what you do every turn. A turn takes like two seconds.
0: Yeah, I really don't understand why this game is listed so heavy. As you said, you're just placing your people out there and you're collecting resources or doing an action. And fulfilling very simplistic contracts, as I said, there is a lot of chaos that comes along with this game, so maybe that's what's tipping a little further. But this is not over a three-point something. This is maybe a 2.5, other than the blinding complexity of the artwork, or (laughs) basically being kind of like Istanbul on Red Bull. You know, otherwise, I, I think this is a game really anybody could play. Maybe not to high efficiency, but I, I don't. I really don't see the challenge here.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I, I would call it a three, but again, mostly just because of how many things to keep track of. And on that front, almost entirely because of how many different ways you score at the end of the game, trying to keep all that in your head as you play, like the different sets you're collecting and the cards and the technology cards and the majorities on the boards, that can lead to a little bit of head-scratching. But the actions themselves, pretty straightforward. Yeah, man, I'm going to agree and give it a play. I haven't played it enough to, to call it a buy. I'm happy with having picked it up.
0: Okay, so that's the games that are hitting our table this week. Now on to our feature review. So as we mentioned for the start, we are talking about our top 10 board game apps. So probably like many of you out there, you've gotten a chance to take these cardboard gems to the tablet or maybe even to your phone if you can actually squeeze them into there. But nonetheless, these apps offer an awesome opportunity to play these games solo or with a larger and growing community. Maybe one day board game apps will be as big as every other app that's out there, but we're picking the top 10 board game apps that are out there right now that you should absolutely positively check out and offer a quality experience in the interface, the gameplay, the directions, and hopefully, with most of these games, a solid AI that you can keep coming back to. So, Anthony, what do we have for our number 10, our top board game apps?
1: Okay, so we're going to start it off with one of the ones that's been around, not not the longest, but pretty close, and that's Neuroshima Hex. Uh, This is a uh, Portal Games production, and it is I don't know how many different uh, factions they have on there now, but a lot. There's a lot of different ways to play this.
0: It's pretty crazy the number of in-app purchases you can buy with this game.
1: Yeah, so this is a... The, the board game is great. You know, you have your different factions. Everybody's got their own characters. They do different things. You lay tiles, and then you you know, you know execute the different actions on those tiles, and they each take each other out based on their numbers. It can be a bit fiddly to play on, a, on cardboard and keep track of everything. On the app, it takes care of all of it for you, and it runs really smoothly and quickly, so... It's a good one.
0: Yeah, I like this a lot. This is probably the app that I've played the most just because it's so quick and simple to play solo. And as you said, it has a ton of in-app purchases for other different factions. So it's almost endless. And the AI is not terrible unless you play maybe a four player with three AI. Then they typically slug it out while you kind of sit in the back and wait for them to do that. But Otherwise that's our number 10. So Anthony, what's our number nine
1: star realms. Woo-hoo. Yeah, this is a, this is kind of a behemoth. This is a juggernaut. This is a, I know a lot of people we had actually Suzanne Sheldon on the, the uh, every night is game night a couple weeks ago to talk about apps that came out this year. And this is the game she said she's played the most and she is the person who plays apps. So <laughs> um, star realms is, I mean, it's, a quick two-player deck builder. The app is very well implemented. It runs great, you know, on a phone, on a tablet, on anything, and it's got a lot of extra content in there as well. So, and you know, it's doing well because they're they're building out the apps for um, not only for their their newer game, Epic, but also for the Hero Realms, uh, the fantasy version of this. So, uh, definitely a lot of legs here for this game and the system.
0: Yeah, they recently announced that there's going to be some new expansions and some new upgrades for Star Realms on the app. So that's outstanding. And one thing we should mention before we go forward, even though they're in our number 10 and our number nine choices, they're also the choices that at least currently are free to play. Now, both of them have in-app purchases, but you get to play a really solid, good chunk of the core game. And that's always fantastic to, when it comes to app play. All right, Anthony, what's our number eight game?
1: Suburbia. Yay. I, mean, I love Suburbia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this game, I have a bittersweet relationship with this one because it's one of my favorite board games. It's in my top 10. And the app is brutally difficult if you're playing solo, just trying to go through those challenges. Yes. So I, I kind of, I'll come to it. I'll play it for maybe a few times, kind of get fixated on it, and then I'll get angry and I won't come back for weeks <laughs> or months. And it's been going on like that for two years. So Suburbia. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I concur. This is an outstanding app done by Bezier Games. It really plays super well. And the AI is pretty decent. I would say most of the time you're going to beat the AI, but it's still a great game. As you said, the solo play, that will hurt your brain. But I guess with an app, it's nice to have something to give you a little bit of a challenge. All right, Anthony, what's our number seven? Ah,
1: this is one that I do not like the board game of it all, but I have to give props to the app for doing such a good job. Um, that's Agricola. Uh, and really, any of the Uvi Rosenberg games that have been turned into apps, and there's a whole bunch of them. You know, we've got Agricola and La and Patchwork and a few others and a couple more that are in the works. But uh, this is probably still, at this point, the best of the bunch in terms of taking all that complexity and making it accessible in an app. So props for that.
0: Yes, very much so. I really love what they did with this app here because you can see the basic board game or you can, with one click of a button, you can actually pop up this kind of real beautiful animation that actually shows what those spots are doing. So you don't necessarily get the basic board kind of look, but a really kind of interesting animation. But then again, it makes it a little more difficult. So you just click it again and it pops right off. Um, A little challenging as far as how much is out there. You kind of switch screens a little bit to actually kind of be able to get a full idea of what's going on in the gameplay, but it's really a great app. All right, Anthony, our number six app.
1: All right, so this one, I have a feeling will end up higher on this list in the future, but it's only been out for two weeks, so it's, it's already pretty high considering. That's Race for the Galaxy. I actually originally had put San Juan on this list, and I think Race for the Galaxy bumped it off because it's just... Such a good game, and the app makes it so accessible in a way that the card game is rarely is. And and it comes out of the gate with two expansions. You'd have to pay for them, so cost might be an issue issue here. But there's a lot of content already there available for you.
0: Yeah, I really like this app. I I picked it up the day it came out. I usually don't do that with apps, but the ability to actually deal with the trading part of that game and the consumption is really really great. And it's a really nice application and it plays on the phone and on the tablet, which is very odd, but it actually does a decent job there. All right, Anthony, what about our number five?
1: All right, number five is Terra Mystica, another recent release. But, man, it is so good. It has to be on here. Does it have Terra to? Terra Mystica, it has to. Oh, come on. <laughs> it has to. Uh, right. No, Again, this is one of my favorite games of all time, and th- it's one of those ones where they said, we're making an app out of it, and you're like, uh... That was me I don't, I don't know if this is going to work That was also um, me It totally works
0: That wasn't me, but okay It works Okay.
1: Um. So it actually works so well That I've played multiple games on my phone And it's not that bad wow. Because the way they've broken things down The way they've segmented it out it It functions in a way That while I wouldn't have thought of it To how to break the board down in this way It is very intuitive once you play So I really, really appreciate that the AI is decently good. Um, they've been tweaking it and making it a little bit better as time goes on, but it's decently good. And they, you know, added a lot of patches um, to kind of speed the game up along the way. Uh, but overall, this is for as heavy as a game as this is, this is a fantastic implementation. And hopefully it makes me better at the game because for a game I love so much, I'm not that great at it.
0: So how good are you at our number four game then?
1: Uh, great. Cause it's super easy. Uh <laughs> Takedo. Uh, As hard as Terra Mystica is, Takedo is easy. And this app is, I mean, you know Takedo, it's, you know, you're moving from place to place, taking actions, going on this wonderful journey down the Takedo road. The app takes that, it animates it, it creates this beautiful world for you to explore, and really does a fantastic job of bringing all those visuals out. And that alone really makes it cool.
0: Yeah, I I really enjoy this implementation. It's sweet. It's beautiful. It's just really missing the expansions. I think that's really the only thing that could kind of bump this game up and add a little more complexity to it. But it does a great job. All right, Anthony, what about our number three app? All right.
1: So for this one, we got a classic, Ticket to Ride. Uh, And so the Ticket to Ride app is fantastic on its own. But one of the reasons this is so high up is that it has all of the expansions, You can go in and play every variation of Ticket Ride, except maybe some of the newest ones. They're all there. It has challenges. It has different ways you can get achievements. Uh, The online matchmaking is really good. As an app implementation, and this was done by Days of Wonder back in the day before Asmodee came along, this is one of the best. Still is one of the best, even with all the new stuff coming out. And it's, it's on everything, so you can play it anywhere, too, which is great.
0: Yeah, it does a nice job, and it has just enough bells and whistles, literally bells and whistles, to uh, go along with the great gameplay here. And as you said, with all the app additions, while it's, you know, a buck here and a buck there, it's well worth it to be able to play this game so continuously. You can kind of really blow through a game in a few minutes, so uh, that's really, really a nice job there. All right, Anthony, what about our number two game? Uh, another all
1: so... This is the Castles of Mad King Ludwig, and I'm not as big a fan of this as a board game uh, in general. I like Suburbia better, but as an app, I I like Castles of Mad King Ludwig quite a bit because of the challenges that they put in and the different kind of almost story mode that you're going through to complete these different things So, from a solo gaming perspective, you know, which is 90 percent of how I play apps anyways. It's really cool and it's. Decently difficult, but not to the obscene, painful level that Suburbia can be. So I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. It's that solo pay that goes along with the game as far as building these really odd little situations is extremely challenging, but it is it is a lot of fun. And once again, the expansions that hopefully will come to this game soon and Suburbia soon. We'll really up both those games a lot and move them up on the list. But until then, that's our number two. But, Anthony, what is our number one board game app?
1: All right. This one is Small World 2. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I know this is one of your favorites, so I'll go ahead and let you.
0: Now, as Anthony said... This was one of the Days of Wonder games before Asmo Day came around. So, once again, it was given Days of Wonder outstanding treatment. So, basically, what you're getting is the game of Small World. Now, if you haven't played Small World before, it's about territory control by using a fantasy race along with a random fantasy power. When you put them together, you have a great combination you conquer, you explore, you take over, someone else comes does that, your race goes in decline, you bring out another race. The implementation's great, the menus are great, it explains everything that you need to. And one of the challenges with Small World is since it has so many chits for all the different races to be able to pop on this app, play a game, hopefully win the game either against a you know, a, a typically challenging AI or online opponents is fantastic. It also has three of the expansions which you can unlock. It is a dollar here and a dollar there. But just by the implementation alone, this is something you should see. And the gameplay alone, it's something you should play. So that's why Small World 2 is our number one board game app. All right. So now that we're done with our feature, you've all been talking on our Facebook page. So Anthony, what's our question of the week?
1: bitter battle because it,
0: it was salty it was, sour. it was salty
1: there we go that's yeah, good
0: yeah, you know got a little rough there at times
1: Had a, had a little piquant to it yeah, I, um,
0: I, would, I would i would tell people not to listen to that episode it, it got a little rough at times i don't think anyone needs to hear that whatever you do <laughs> don't listen to episode 117 it was very contentious the entire time
1: number one rule of podcasting tell them what not to listen to
0: yeah <laughs> reverse <laughs> psychology <laughs>
1: We're in your heads, yeah, um. Man.
0: Well, it's so we we didn't. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. So we didn't actually come to a uh, um, an agreement amongst us of whether Lords of Waterdeep or Champions of Midgard should come out on, on top. Lords of um, so we. Yeah, well, so <laughs> <laughs> we put it to the listeners. We asked, "What do you think?" And unfortunately, it was still pretty evenly split. Short of counting these all up, which. I imagine we're going to do right now. But (laughs) short of counting them all up, there was a decent number of people for either game. Willie says he prefers Waterdeep. It's a good introduction to worker placement games and doesn't annoy me with all the extra luck that comes with Midgard. Fair enough. There's nothing worse than having an intro game leave a new player hanging because of a die roll. There you go. Gabe, however, says champions of Midgard easily. I usually pass on invites to play Lords of Waterdeep. Just not fun for me. Uh, Champions of Midgard isn't as deep as some of the worker placement games I enjoy, like Caverna or Dungeon Pets, but the dice chunking adds a layer of fun and troll-fighting blame, adds some nice interaction that most worker placements do not have.
0: That's true, very true. Good job there.
1: Steven also says Champions of Midgard, but then John and Rachel chimed in for Lords of Waterdeep. Uh And Daniel says Waterdeep is fantastic and is my choice, primarily because it is easier to introduce to newbies. I have only one core gaming group and often finding myself playing games with people I may only play with once.
0: Yeah, very, yes.
1: He so Waterdeep is a great intro to everything that makes worker placement good, but isn't convoluted in almost any of the game's mechanics. And so, and then there's a couple of people who are just being smartasses who said <laughs> Agricola and Viticulture, and number three, I would neither never play either of these voluntarily. So thank you guys. Yeah, I can for, see that. No, participating in the conversation.
0: That's a legitimate remark. I get that. I get that. Okay.
1: <laughs> and then the poll over in the guild, uh Lords of Waterdeep came out by a couple of votes. So, Waterdeep definitely had more support. And you know what? Based on some of these responses, I think the number one thing here is it's an introduction game and if you're going to be playing with new players, you don't want a game that's too heavily luck-based. I I get that. Yes. So, I'm going to concede the point here water deep because that is a very good point to make Yeah, uh, champions of Midgard guard is you know the similar weight but it has all that extra luck mixed in so if you're playing with new players it could be a little rough
0: yeah i mean we're looking at both lightweight gateway games that offer a lot and as i said champions is a great press your luck game in a category that doesn't have a lot of great games so it has a, it does definitely has a place in a collection
1: for sure. Yeah, I'm happy to own both of these. So uh, it's a, it was a trick question all along because really I like them both.
0: But yet it turned out to be water deep. And I bet you it was because of those, you know, sneaky little lords that kind of influence things like they always do. Mm-hmm.
1: Jerks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> be careful, you'll end up with corruption.
1: <laughs> uh, but thanks, guys. Everybody who wrote in and chimed in on the on the poll thank you for your input we'll probably do this in the future too for any of these verses especially if there's just two of us on here uh kind of get a good sense from the rest of you what you think about you know which game comes out on top
0: all right so that's everything for this week until next time this is chris
1: and this is anthony
0: and we'll save you a seat at our favorite board game app